The landscape of user acquisition is rapidly changing, and it's actually changing at an accelerating rate if you look at things, right? More and more platforms are becoming available to us, and their cycle of peak effectiveness to uh, you know depreciation is becoming faster and faster. Hey, welcome to the UX and Growth Podcast. I'm Jeff. I'm a UX engineer at HubSpot. I'm Austin. I'm a UX designer at HubSpot. And I'm Matt, and I am a growth engineer at HubSpot. So in previous episodes, we talked about things like retention and onboarding and virality and different ways to optimize your funnels to convert users and run experiments on them and ultimately grow your user base. But a big question mark is still, well, what if we don't have users coming in in the first place? Like, you need channels to acquire new users through. Uh, otherwise, you just don't have the volume to run experiments on in the first place or even begin to leverage them. Uh, so today, we're going to be talking about user acquisition. And we have a treat for you guys in that we brought on an absolute expert in the subject. We're joined here by Brian Balfour, who is the Vice President of Growth here at HubSpot. We're extremely excited to have him here. So, Brian, why don't you uh, introduce yourself? Hey, guys. I'm Brian. Glad to be here today. Um, just to give you a little history. Uh, so, I first started my career back out in college, started a couple angel-backed companies. One was a complete failure. The other one was kind of success. But uh, that led me moving to Boston and getting plugged into the entrepreneurial scene here where I started my first venture-backed company called Viximo. Uh, in the during the nice social gaming Facebook platform boom, uh, we grew that from zero to um, I believe it was a few million daily active users, uh, sort of at the peak, um, and ended up selling that to a company named Tapjoy. From there, I, uh, I helped start a B two C education company called Boundless. Um, which uh, ended up uh, basically selling to a company called Valor. And now I'm VP of growth at HubSpot, working on all of our new products that we're launching here uh, as a company, um, specifically our CRM and uh, our tool called Sidekick. Nice. That was, uh, it was called Boundless, you said? Yes, Boundless. Boundless, like bounding. Yes, correct. (laughs) Okay, cool. I'm going to go check that out after this. Um, Just, so this brings up a a question about... um, the gaming space specifically. So, like, um, what is acquisition like? Like, when you when you're trying to get those first, I don't know, like hundred users on a game, um, where did you guys go? You know, what did you try? Um, because I can't think of like any good way besides like maybe like Facebook. Um, tell us a little bit about it. Well, the, the the landscape has massively shifted. I mean, it's not just for gaming, but for like all startups. And I think that's one of the big things that. I sort of try to hammer home with uh, kind of all the companies I'm involved with and advise is that the landscape of like user acquisition is rapidly changing and it's actually changing at an accelerating rate if you look at things, right? More and more platforms are becoming available to us and their cycle of, you know, effectiveness, peak effectiveness to, uh, you know, depreciation is becoming faster and faster. So it's uh, it's one of the reasons why, you know, we talk about, you know, just rapid experimentation as part of becoming a core competency of like whatever you're doing. But I think at that time when we first started, 
Facebook platform was the wild, wild west, right? It had just launched. You could basically blast notify every user's friend on behalf of them, right, for a while. Like it, and Facebook progressively over time cracked down on this and, and sort of changed their platform. Um, and, and then, you know, things like uh, paid acquisition, their fa- Facebook ads uh, became more popular over time, right? But what we did back then is totally different than what a gaming startup should do today, right? Mm-hmm. Where uh, you look at most of the gaming startups, at least the successful ones, um, they really rely on basically three things right now, um, especially in the mobile space. Um, the first is some form of word of mouth or virality factor. If you are a game and you do not have that, you're pretty much dead in the water because our second point, which is one of the only big ways to scale right now like within mobile games is through paid acquisition, right? And if you don't have that virality factor, the cost for you to acquire through uh, a user through those channels is going to be way too expensive. Um, and then the third, what you see a lot of the big gaming companies do is they prove out sort of their user acquisition models and like how well they monetize and stuff, they have resorted to traditional media, TV ads, radio yeah. ads, stuff like that. You, you know, and uh, um, I think uh, uh, I think it was something like this last Super Bowl season, there was like three different ads for different gaming companies, yeah. right? Like, mm-hmm. like it's just absolutely crazy. So anyways, that just kind of highlights like some of where the ecosystem is today, but um, it will massive we will go through massive shifts again um there will be new wild wild wests at some point uh um but uh any come, uh, any come to your mind like right now no actually there's not like i think like the the landscape of like marketing and user acquisition goes through these peaks and valleys where um or where we go through th- these new platforms emerge and you see this sort of explosion in activity the facebook platform was certainly one of those um the ios platform is certainly another one of those Uh, and then we get into these these time periods where um it's more about like really being like refining your model and in knowing how to compete in one of those mature channels uh and then then the cycle repeats itself we will go back through a cycle where there will be another mass explosion in something you know some people sort of are thinking about like our wearables that thing mm-hmm. um you know people have speculated for the longest time that like smart tvs and stuff are that thing but the, yeah. the things haven't really materialized there to cause that the openness hasn't materialized yeah, there at all yeah so um uh, yeah so i think as of right now there aren't those massive platforms there are some new cool small things like um i think you know instagram and especially their new ad platforms pinterest and their new ad platforms for companies that are specifically around you know, physical items are very visual things, right? Like those those types of platforms are extremely solid um, and still, you know, not saturated. But uh, yeah, it's certainly not certainly not like what the early iOS or the early Facebook platform days were by any means. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Matt, you, uh, I know you have a good question about saturated markets. Um, why don't you lay that on them right now? Oh, absolutely. So I've been wondering for the longest time, if you're entering a saturated market where you have a ton of competitors and you need to figure out a way to acquire new users within that market, should you look at what your competitors are doing acquisition-wise and try and go up head-to-head with them? Or should you try and take an entirely different direction to avoid that conflict? How do you think about something like that? Well, I think it depends, right? It really depends on like your product uh, and mm-hmm. um, whether you feel like you've got a totally unique take, right? So a market could be saturated, right? But you could have a completely different take on it. 
um, which changes the economics of the game, right? So um, a great example. I don't know if you guys know. So you guys know uh, the company Casper that does yeah. like mattresses, right? Yep. You know, so mattresses is obviously one of the most saturated yeah. markets out yeah. there, right? Like we, like we couldn't, I probably couldn't think of anything that's more saturated than mattresses, right? But they had a completely different take on the model, which is um, they basically, they, they went very Apple-like. They focused on exactly one product, right? right. Uh, and they branded it and positioned it really well as like, we did all of this research and this is the one mattress you need to have. They figured out a new shipping model that was way more efficient than like what, you know, these physical in-store mattress companies were doing. And anyways, like all because of that, you know, their margins look completely different um, than like something like uh you know, a, like a Sealy mattress company or something like that. And so therefore, you know, they can use that to their advantage and, you know, basically compete in maybe like online acquisition channels like Facebook ads mm -hmm. or PPC or something where all these competitors are, but because they might be getting a higher margin or they have a better word of mouth because of their brand or something like that, um, in the, like it's actually economical for them. They compete right. against that. So so that would be one thing, right? So like, so to part of your question, like looking at what your competitors are doing, absolutely, right? Like, and there's two parts of that process. You look at them to get ideas and you look at them to possibly understand what they're not doing and identify areas of opportunity. Um, but that can, that can very quickly sort of, I think the part of the challenge is it can lead you in, in sometimes the wrong direction as well, which is... Um, uh, which is basically like I think I think people I, I think I see a lot of companies saying that they have a fundamentally different and unique product or a unique take or a unique model something that changes the game for them, and in reality it's it, that's not the truth right like they're just trying to rationalize their way because they put so much time and effort into maybe this idea and they just want it to work versus yeah. like it can work so um, so so it's uh, so it's tough so I, I would I would focus. You know, I would focus on that first, and then and then look at the uh, then look at sort of the um, uh, like the acquisition channels and see if you should go head to head or if it opens up new and different opportunities. Interesting. Uh, why do you think it's called Casper? By the way, I, I've been thinking about that. Like, <laughs> I can't come up with anything. Casper? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe like Casper the Goat. <laughs> it feels like a very comfy like a thing. Ghost. You know? I mean, I also you know I actually first heard about Casper this weekend, so maybe I'm completely out of the loop, but. I spent the weekend in New York and I was on the subway and they've got like ads that are basically covering the subway and, and none of their ads say what they do. And so what do they say? It, it just says like, uh, get the first hundred nights free, visit casper.com. Hmm. That could and be so anything. That could be anything. <laughs> and then they have an illustration of like a bunch of people piled on top of a mattress, but you can't even really tell what it is. So I just saw that and I was like, what is casper.com? So I like typed it in my phone to check it out. And as I was typing it in, my girlfriend was like, oh, it's a mattress company. Look at the illustration. Mm -hmm. But I didn't completely know, mm. you know? So I wonder if there is some type of value to like, like having a, a bit of mysteriousness to the ad that they're putting out there or the name. It's like, it, it's like a hundred percent different than all of their competitors. It's like, it, it's almost like they're not a mattress company and maybe that's where their advantage lies is because uh -huh. everyone else is like immediately diving into like, you know, we're the most comfortable or we're the cheapest or, you know, like Bob's is like always like mattress, like that's we're right. a mattress and we're the that's cheapest. Right. They're basically saying that's all bullshit, right? There is yeah. one mattress, like it's not that complicated, you <laughs> know, and, and we're going to massively simplify this for you, right? Yeah. Which, you know, I think is awesome. Like if you look at a lot of the consumer trends, a lot of 
these new companies are just like they thrive off of simplifying something that was previously extremely complex, right? right? So it reminds me almost of like when you see a billboard where they purposely misspell a word. Just because, like, you, you, you like, if you want to get controversy going on the internet, miss, misspell something. You're gonna get so many people upset and commenting on that. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, that's interesting. Uh, I have a, I have another question uh, going off of that though. Uh, there's just I just did a quick Google search of different acquisition strategies out there, and as it turns out, people have written a lot about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are so many results of like different things that people say that you should be doing. And I'm wondering, like, if I'm a startup. Uh, how do I arrive at which strategy to start with? Like I'm going through this, there's paid acquisition, search engine marketing, content marketing, uh, offline things, billboards, commercials, radio, magazines. You can have a freemium model where you lower the barrier to entry, can provide incentives, you can do events, sponsorships. Where do you start and how do you validate a channel uh, in that it works for you? I actually think it's much simpler than most people think. I think this is one of the areas where uh, people get... Um, um, it, it, they just over they overcomplicate it, right? So the, the the first cut at it is we first need to distinguish between are we talking about gaining traction or growth, right? And I make that I make that separation because there are a ton of different ways to get traction, right? There's a bunch of you know different little sites and places and where you know your customers live that you can go and. Uh, um, you know, gain you know bits and pieces of users and customers here and there, but if but if we're talking about growth, like true growth, like going for the big Kahuna, right? Uh, there are very few scalable acquisition channels. The ones out there with massive ceilings where you can really grow, uh, you know, off of a you know to like a hundred million dollar company, and those channels are basically some form of sales, some form of word of mouth or virality. Um, content marketing. We're here at HubSpot, so I basically have to say that, right? Um, uh, uh, paid acquisition and search, like I like high scale search, like SEO and stuff. Those are pretty much the only channels that have massive, massive ceilings and scale to to uh, uh, to, to really grow your back off of. And so, and so when you when you sort of take a look at that, and you're you're really talking about major growth channels then it kind of simplifies it because there's not that many options and in you know basically depending on what type of company you are limits the options even more right so if i'm a uh, a b to c you know like a new mobile photo sharing app right i'm not going to scale via sales right like <laughs> like that's not that's not going to work right also, I'm not going to scale via search, right? Because on mobile, like there isn't, there's just, you know, like the search game hasn't really sort of developed and you were talking about photos, right? Like uh, not necessarily like text-based written content. You start to narrow it down and you realize, oh, well, if I'm a mobile photo sharing app, I basically live and die by virality, right? Uh, that's pretty much it, right? So so I think, you know, uh, you can really sort of, you can really sort of narrow that down. Now, now within like, uh, um, like traction now there are a ton of options there's a ton of different little ad platforms there's a ton of little different forum sites all that kind of stuff and if you're just trying to get the ball rolling then basically I think the process looks like this right the first thing is you just say okay like who am I trying to target like where do they live 
you know, online or offline, create a, basically a giant list of those things. And then you can basically run those lists of things against a set of sort of priorities, basically looking at the pros and cons of each option. Like, um, you know, how, you know, how quick is it to, to, you know, spit, like to potentially spin up this channel, right? Something like content takes a really long time versus something like paid acquisition is like a very short period of time, right? Uh, um, how much, uh, uh, like, like maybe, maybe one, maybe I'm bootstrapping this thing, so I don't have a bunch of money available to me. All right, well, that eliminates a bunch of things and basically, you know, helps prioritize a bunch of these. Um, anyways, I, I have a blog post on my site at, at coelevate.com. If you just search for how to choose your customer acquisition channel, and I actually provide a framework of like how to prioritize these things. Nice. But that, was I, my, that was my next question. Yeah, but the problem is, is like I, the biggest mistake I see all almost all startups make is that instead of going through this list and actually prioritizing, they basically say, well, I don't know what's going to work, so I'm just going to try everything at once, right? Yeah. And like, that's basically a recipe for failure. Is there a risk to diversifying your channels too early? Because yes. Because it's a good thing long-term, right? Uh, yes and no. Like, I, If you like... In the short term, it's the risk is basically like you're probably you're probably very limited on resources, whether that's money, time, or people, or probably all three of those things, <laughs> right? Uh, and so, if you try to do too many things at once, you basically you end up just like getting nowhere. You you don't you run in place, right? And so, it's much better to basically prioritize and choose one or two at a time, and then if those one or two don't end up working out then you can basically take the learnings from those one or two and you have a much better idea of like what are the next one or two that you should go after. And so, you know, you and most people think basically trying everything at once is a faster path mm. to success, but oftentimes it's not. Often it, it's, a, it's this weird illusion. Long term, you know, yes and no, right? Like you look at most really successful companies, right? And they, they scale off of the back of, you know, 80% of their growth typically comes from one channel, right? It's very, very rare that you get, uh, uh, it's very, very rare that you get basically like equal distribution from like three or more channels, right? LinkedIn is one of those few companies that I can think of. Uh, they they thrive on, vir like they get a great contribution from virality. They get a great contribution from SEO of people searching on names. And they also get a great contribution from an inside sales team, basically uh, selling like their B two B products. They have they have three channels that contribute about equalness, right? But most companies don't. You look at TripAdvisor, all search based, right? Uh, almost any travel is almost all search based, yeah. right? Uh, you look at something like Facebook; it's all virality based, right? Uh, you look at most mobile games right now; it's pretty much all paid acquisition, right? Yeah. Uh, like eighty percent of your growth, even over the long term, typically comes from you know, one, like one major channel. So, um, what you typically find is, you know, like you want to find that one that's going to contribute 80%. And as you start to hit the ceiling of that, start to layer on some of the additional, uh, like the additional ones, but typically more often than not, like you're never going to hit that same type of volume that you get from that like core centerpiece. Yeah. So. so like, Speaking, you know, we, we, you gave a few good examples of different uh, companies there. I, came, I was at a, an e-commerce startup before I came here. And um, one of the big things that we talked about a lot was like having some type of a lever channel. Mm -hmm. So I'll explain this a little bit. A lot of the channels that you talked about, especially, you know, content SEO, 
Those take a lot of, it takes a lot of time to create the content and time for it to mature and effectively even more time for it to pay off. Mm -hmm. So there has been like a lot of talk about it in the company that I was at before this is like, is there such thing as a channel that you can take like SEM was the one that, that we were speaking about in particular where it's like, okay, we're halfway through the month. We need to meet like X amount of orders by the end of the month to keep our VCs happy. Let's just, we know that we can pump this much amount of money into this channel and it'll spit out like this amount of orders. What do you think about like, is there anything that you've seen where you have like a direct imp impact or uh, input and then like a very predictable output? Well, I think a lot, like most channels, you can get to a point that uh, uh, where like, you know based on what you put in what you're going to get out right so mm -hmm. sales is a great example right you know you most companies get to a point where they know for every sales rep they hire it this this is like out of, out of a group of sales reps we hire we know how many of this are going to actually last past the first couple of months and it's going to take that amount of people to get you know three x amount of months to get to this level of productivity and then based on that, we, we know like on average, they're gonna produce about this productivity. But in your example, right? right so like that's predictable, but mm -hmm. in your example, right? It's not like I can go hire a bunch of sales reps tomorrow, yeah. right? And expect yeah. them to be productive, right? So there's a little bit of a difference there. Um, and so like the, the combination of both predictability as well as you know being able to turn on a dime, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's really what paid acquisition is. That's the big pro of like paid acquisition and like online ads and those types of things. The challenge with that is is um, you know a lot of a lot of times like online ads they, they have a ceiling, right? So like mm -hmm. if you're already operating at that ceiling, um, you know they it's not like you can just double that ceiling overnight. You're constricted by the ceiling of the channel that you're playing in. Like yeah. like like if, if Facebook ads is a major channel for you, you're kind of constricted by the number of people in your target audience that are on Facebook in that time period, right? Uh, you can't control that, right? Like that's Facebook, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so so no matter what, like you know, yeah, there there are like tend to be like some opportunities like that but uh everything has its pros and cons is kind of what i'm getting at mm -hmm. uh and um and just like seo it takes a really long time to mature and pump out right um uh uh you know basically paid basically has its cons as well right mm -hmm. um better predictability uh but you know more potentially more expensive and you have other issues with you know ceilings and saturation yeah so Alternately, uh, if you would like, you can just give me a couple thousand dollars and I'll just go out into the street and just hand people money to sign up for your site, which is going to please your VCs. So yeah, yeah. it's mean, an option. As long as it meets the target CPA, right? Exactly. Exactly. Um, you made, um, you kind of drew a line between traction and growth um, a few minutes ago. And it made me wonder, like, where do you know when to start kind of like leaving the traction strategy and start to go towards the growth strategy quote unquote product market fit right like <laughs> yeah. and and so this this is tough because like i don't i actually don't think product market fit is sort of this line that all of a sudden you cross right uh it's it's a very gray area right but ultimately like in the early days the traction phase uh it's much more about validating validating that product market fit and the best signal to product market fit is that the users you acquire retain 
right? Uh, uh, over like a long, like a, a decent period of time, right? And because if you retain users, right, people stick around when you're delivering value to them, right? right? Uh, and um, and if and so like if they retain, that means you're basically proving out a lot of your initial assumptions about the business or the product. Uh, um, in those kind of like core hypotheses that you started with, right? And the way that you prove out retention, right, in a lot of cases is by using a lot of these traction channels just to get enough users into the funnel to prove out, to prove out this retention. But your f- core focus is retention. Yeah. Uh, um, and, but once you get to that point, right, like, and you've kind of proven out, you know, you at least know some of this stuff around retention and product market fit, the traction channels aren't going to scale. They aren't going to provide the growth that you want or that your investors want, right? right. Uh, and so that's where you really have to, like, you have to start looking at these major, major growth channels, right? right. Um, and so um, that's typically, you know, if we want to talk about startup funding, right, you know, a lot of time your your seed round is really designed to basically prove out that product market fit, your A round is there to prove out, you know, your first really core scalable acquisition channel and your B round is to like really like scale that channel out right like that like that's kind of how VCs think about it yeah. uh, um, and so I, th- that's probably the best indicator of like knowing when to switch that makes sense Jeff what exactly is a traction channel hmm? I've actually never heard that term um, it's a good question actually <laughs> um, I know like examples um, okay. Brian do you have like a definition in like, mind before I just like make one up? Like if I was to do uh, like a traction channel would be like, um, uh, you know, uh, I like I targeted audience that lives on a bunch. Like I'm, I target I'm targeting car enthusiasts, and there's a mm-hmm. bunch of car enthusiast forums. I go participate in those forums, yeah. right? Yeah, you know, like, it's gonna get me you know trickles of users and, and stuff like that. Yeah. But it's you're never gonna build a multi-million it's dollar company. It's not as much as like track, Traction yeah. is a street team. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's like, it's how you scrap your way okay. to, you know, to, to basically get it, you're starting to get a flow of users. So in. potentially where your exact persona lives, but I mean, that's not going to be a whole lot of people in most cases. Yeah, no, I mean the way that I mo- like, I really define sort of traction channels versus growth channels mm-hmm. or growth channels are ones that have high enough ceilings that you can build a very meaningful, sizable company off of. Mm-hmm. So, gotcha. which are the five that I mentioned. Yeah. Um, cool. Could you put a number on, you said like um, generating like enough users that you can kind of make a decision like whether or not you've, you've found that product market fit. Um, what's a good number for you? Like how many users actually do you think you need before you can start to make a decision like that? It depends on the type of company you're on, right? Like the, you know, uh, you know, B2C companies require more users to prove that out versus like people on the B2B enterprise end of the spectrum, right? So depending on where you live on that spectrum depends where the where your volume of users Almost are. using like uh, maybe you, you could gauge that by how difficult it is to obtain a single user. Like in a, in a B2B environment, you might have to invest a lot more into obtaining one potential client, whereas like B2C, like with a game or something like that, you can kind of put that out there and you've got a lot of people that would be in, like, how, well, how large is your audience and how much do you have to yeah. convince those people to join? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, that's certainly, there's certainly a strong correlation there. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, it really sort of depends on, 
uh, it depends on those numbers. And I think the thing about retention is it's, it's very easy to trick yourself the thinking that you're growing uh, when you're really not yeah. uh, <laughs> because like retention is this thing that hides under the surface right I mean just look at like if you are not to pick on you know companies because I'm an entrepreneur myself and have failed many times before but you know look at HomeJoy right. $40 million invested right and they go out of business and it's pretty much because they couldn't retain users they tricked themselves into thinking that they were growing over a long period of time with things like daily deal sites and stuff like that when there was something hiding under the hood, you know, that that spelled much, you know, greater long-term doom. Yeah. Let's do a whole episode where we just list off failed startups and talk about why. <laughs> I think that'd be fun. Yeah, that'd be kind of cool. Also, um, when, we're, when we're talking about traction, is that when you're gauging whether or not you have a viable concept or do you, are you doing that before the traction phase? Because something that... I'm thinking about a lot. It's like, say that, you know, I, I'm like an entrepreneur and I have an idea for a startup. How do I begin to even verify whether or not my idea is something that people want? And like, what are the, what are the tactics that I use? And at what point do I know that I verified? I mean, there's certainly like, I mean, you can certainly do like smokescreen tests with landing pages and qualitative interviews and all that kind of stuff as like a first step to start, you know, learning about a lot of your core assumptions, but at the end of the day, the only real way you know the answer to that question is if you're able to acquire users, retain them, and turn that into money somehow or some way, <laughs> mm-hmm. whether it's them giving you dollars or, you know, if you're really on the far end of the B2C spectrum, you know, you know, you know, have some sort of path to add dollars or something mm-hmm. of that nature. But that's really the only the only true test um, at the end of the day. Uh, so and that's really what the traction phase is about is yep. like how you go you know, it's how you kind of prove out those core assumptions and that viability yeah, and that awesome. product market fit. The main takeaway I've taken from this is that there's only a couple channels that you can really scale with, which I always assumed there was a lot more, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. you point to, like, come up with an example, and I will point, I with 98% accuracy, I will point to, you know, the channel that they likely scale. And it will be one of those five that I mentioned. Can you mm-hmm. scale with Snapchat? <laughs> Uh, no, I don't think so. I, it's not open enough yep. at this right. point, right? Like, I think people are creating, like, Snapchat personalities and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. But offering a platform to build, like, a $100 million business off of, like, mm-hmm. I don't think it's there yet, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think a lot of people are creating fame for themselves and what that means, right? It's, it looks like it looks like the, like, YouTube yeah. You know, right. maybe a couple years ago or something like what that. Yeah. Like what you'll find is that all the people that are like, I actually follow somebody who's like a Snapchat celebrity, and but I did not find them through Snapchat. Like it's always somewhere else. Snapchat's like the end game. Like you don't go anywhere else. They're not sending you other places for the most part. Um, it's like it's weird. It's like everywhere else is like treating Snapchat as your website. You know, mm-hmm. like. It's almost as if user acquisition is such a hot topic. It's so hard to be a, a massive growth channel. It's like that's the goal of some companies now where mm-hmm. it's like, how are we going to monetize? Oh, we'll become an acquisition channel, you know, mm-hmm. because what else can we do? And there's so few options out there. People are really hungry for something. Okay, so we're starting to come to the end of our time, but I want to kind of end with a fluff question. Um, Brian, if you were not doing this right now and you could just do anything that you wanted with your life, <laughs> Name two things that you could do. <laughs> I have no idea. Oh my gosh. Uh, 
I would definitely still be working. Like that's yeah. a thing. Like no matter amount of amount of money, uh, no matter amount of money uh, I had or success, like it would, I, I would definitely be trying to like work and build something. But what that is, I I don't know. Like I think some people have extremely strong convictions and passions around like what I call like passion verticals, right? right. Uh, like I have this friend uh, Jeremy Levine who runs. Um, this also awesome like mobile daily fantasy uh, sports game called Draft, um, and uh, he is so passionate about sports and fantasy and stuff. Is like he just that is his thing. Like yeah. he would do that thing. For some reason, I'm not like that. Like I just get I get more intrigued by like the process of building something, uh, and so uh, uh, so you know I don't know. Like if I wasn't doing HubSpot right now, I'd be, I'd definitely be starting something, but exactly what I have no idea. Yeah. So. Might I suggest gardening? <laughs> so, like a, I, am, I would definitely, okay. I, there are some things I could put on my no list uh, and that would be one of them. Yeah. yeah. Well, awesome. Yeah. With that. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna wrap it up right here. Brian, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah. Thanks uh, for having me. Yeah. You were awesome. Um, and we, we did, we learned a ton. Um, if you have any questions for us and, I mean, maybe Brian, I don't know how busy you are, but like if anything comes our way, like maybe able to send something to you. Yeah, um, just uh, if people have questions, just uh, visit my site, coelevate.com. Uh, my contact information is on there, so feel free to reach out. Awesome. And if you're interested in talking to us as opposed to our guests, um, our contact information is on uxandgrowth.com. Um, thank you so much for listening and have a great rest of your day. We'll